Likutei Sichais, Chelik Yudalit, Volume 14, Second Sicha for Parsha Seitzei. This is a Rashi Sicha, and once again, we're going to re-familiarize ourselves with many important rules in the way Rashi presents his Pirush, how and when and what he says in or on a Pasik, even so far as to look at and examine the Dibur HaMaschil, the choice of heading that Rashi quoted from the verse, and the way Rashi even quotes his references or and or the reference, how much of it does he quote or not. For example, when Rashi brings a Pasuk, does he quote the entire Pasuk, does he omit some of it, and so on and so forth. And see how that all adds, or in fact gives the proper flavor to the Pirush of Rashi, and really brings out what he's trying to tell us in this Pasuk. Now this um, Tzicha also will give us very, very good insight into what really the mitzvah of eradicating a Molik is, the mitzvah that's mentioned in this week's Parsha. We'll try to read at least two paragraphs inside, and then we will um, continue by going over it orally. The Pasuk, uh, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 1. Aleph, Besiyum Parsha Seinu, Maitik Rashi, in the end of our Parsha, Rashi quotes the words from the Pasuk, quote, Timcha Ezecher Amolik. You should eradicate the memory of Amolik. Umefadish, and he explains, Meish Vaad Isha, from man to woman, Meoilil Vaad Yoinek, from a baby until a toddler, until a nursing, a suckling, from an ox until the sheep, until a lamb. Meaning, all of them have to be eradicated. By the way, this verse, these words, exactly, is actually a direct quote from the Sefer Shmuel, from the Prophet Shmuel, in chapter 15, verse 3, where he directs Shaul HaMelech to do exactly this mitzvah, namely, to eradicate the memory of Amalek. And he tells him exactly what he has to eradicate. Continues Rashi, that the name of Amalek should not be mentioned, should not be remembered, even on, a, on the behemoth. Not only on the humans, but even on the behemoth. To say, quote, that this behemoth once belonged to Amalek. That's the end of Rashi. Says the Rebbe, at first glance, but what would it seem? What is really Rashi's objective here? What is Rashi's purpose here? Bo Rashi lahashmienu. Rashi comes to teach us shemechias zecher hamolik pirusha. That what is really the meaning? What is really the definition of quote eradicating the memory of hamolik? That gam mechias abehema. That it also includes not only killing the obvious, eradicating the memory of the human beings, anyone that belongs to the family of Amalek. But moreover, Rashi's objective is to tell us that it also includes the animals. And this part is, is actually understood how it really is necessary for Rashi to point this out. And why this is so, according to Pshut Shemikra. Why? Because the Imlav Hochi, because if not so, meaning, if it would not include this objective, this 
chiyuv of eradicating also the animals, of destroying the animals of Amalek, then there would always be the memory of Amalek would linger on, on the animals. Another thing, when the Torah directs us to eradicate the memory of Amalek, the people of Amalek are Amalek. They're not just a memory of Amalek. They're not just something that in your mind would reference and associate with Amalek. They are Amalek. They are the essence. So it's obvious that they have to be killed. And therefore, it makes sense that Rashi points out that according to Pshut Eishel Mikra, the mitzvah of eradicating the memory of Amalek extends to or includes the eradication of all the animals, all the livestock, so there never be a memory, any zecher left for Amalek. But obviously the, the humans, the, the, the people of Amalek certainly, most certainly have to be eradicated. Now the Rebbe will ask the questions on the Rashi, as we always do in the Rashi, uh, Rashi Sicha, and he goes as follows. If you think about it, what really was the difficulty here with the words in the heading of Rashi, Timcha Ezecha Amalek, you should eradicate the memory of Amalek. What was the difficulty in the first place? If Rashi is trying to actually explain to us what constitutes, in other words, what does it mean when the Torah says eradicate the memory of Amalek, which that would imply that there is some kind of difficulty in knowing on our own what that means, well, if that's the case, this is not the first time that the Torah speaks about the eradication of the memory of Amalek. It already had been mentioned way back in Chumash Mois, in Parshish B'Shalach, the first time Amalek came to start up with the Jewish people. So why didn't Rashi explain it there? If there is a difficulty in understanding what this means, what is the definition of eradicating the memory of Amalek. And from the fact that he did not explain it there, he did not you know, make a point to explain to us what it means, that implies that it's obvious, that it's self-understood. So then why explain it here? That's one question. Another question, if you want to kind of analyze a little more closely the actual Pirish of Rashi, Rashi's whole objective, at least according to the premise that we made, is that to teach us that it also includes the wiping out of, the eradication of the memory of Amalek through killing all the livestock, through getting rid of all the livestock. So why then include in his reference, in his quote from the verse, quote, Me'ishvad Isha that from man to woman, from, from, from baby to suckling to, to young child, what is the point of that if the whole objective in Rashi was to teach us about the eradication of the, the animals of Amalek? That's number one. Number two, why doesn't Rashi also bring the end of that Pasuk? If you're already quoting a Pasuk, that Pasuk finishes off, Migomol v'at hamer, quote, from camel to donkey, that Shmuel instructed Shoal to kill all the livestock, the oxen, the, the lambs, you know, the, all the domestic animals from a camel to a donkey and so on. Why didn't he include that too? I mean, if you bring your Pasuk, bring the whole Pasuk. Number three, Usually, or at least typically, when Rashi quotes a Pasuk, he says, or, like it's written, 
in, in such and such a place, in such a Pasik. Over here, Rashi doesn't bring a, kos, a Pasik. He quotes it as if it almost appears to be his own words, his own narrative. Why did he do it that way? Number four, Rashi seems to have a redundancy here. After Rashi says, quote, that the memory of Amalek should not be even on the animals, he continues and he seems to be repeating himself. It seems to be repetitious and therefore it's totally superfluous. It doesn't seem to be necessary to add to say on this behemoth that people will say, oh, this once belonged to Amalek. I mean, you kind of made that point already. Why would Rashi seem to be repeating himself? And then in the actual Dibra Hamaskal itself, in the heading of Rashi, why did Rashi quote the words, Timcha Es, you should wipe out the, and then Zeichra Amalek, when it seems that the only thing that Rashi really focuses on, on, the only insight that Rashi is really giving us and that's necessary is only on the words Zeichar Amalek, the memory of Amalek. Rashi is explaining to us, Rashi is elaborating to us what it means, the memory of Amalek, that it also extends to animals, or that's where the concern is. So why quote the words Timcha Es? So now we're at Ois Beis, chapter 2. In order to better understand this, we need actually a clarification in this concept. What does it mean to eradicate the memory of Amalek? In other words, when the Torah instructs us, Timcha Zeichar Amalek, and by the way, this is an essential mitzvah. We have to remember it every day, right? We say it every day after davening in the Sheh Schirois. Those are my words, by the way. So what does the Torah want? Because really, if you think about it, there's a, an elemental question over here. If you think about it, according to Pshut Shemikra, what exactly does this mean to wipe out the memory of Amalek? The fact is that if I actively want to do the mitzvah, I automatically remember Amalek. Every time I want to think about Amalek to eradicate them, I have to remember them. Correct? So how am I exactly eradicating the Amalek when the only way to, to, to do that is to think about them? So the memory is always going to be there. It's going to linger on every day, day after day. Moreover, if you think about it, really? I, as a human being, have the power to eradicate a memory? If the Torah would have said to me, listen, remove it from your thinking, remove it from your heart. There are times that the Torah tells us about certain things, remove it from your, you know, from your, from your frame of thinking, reframe of memory. That's fine. That I can do. I can have control of myself, at least if I try. But how can I control this? How can I make it that the total memory of Amalek becomes eradicated from the world? That's not something that's up to me. I'm just a human being. Now, if one is going to bring the argument, well, it says it in Parshas Bishalach, let's take a look there. In Parshas Bishalach, it's not Hashem telling us to eradicate the memory of Amalek. In Parshas Bishalach, it's Hashem saying, I, meaning I, Hashem, will eradicate the memory of Amalek. Well, Hashem has control to do whatever he wants, and he's uh, all capable of, if he wants to, when he wants to, to totally eradicate the memory of Amalek, and it'll be totally forgotten as if it never existed. Correct? But what is the mitzvah here? What does Hashem want us to do? That, says the Rebbe, is really what Rashi is trying to teach us. What Rashi is trying to teach us is that the mitzvah and the purpose of the mitzvah of Timcha Zechra Amolik, that you should eradicate the memory of Amolik, 
is that we should do our part in eradicating anything that triggers, anything that brings the memory of Amalek. And therefore, anything that could be a reminder and a trigger, quote, to say this belonged to Amalek, and thus bringing up again the memory of Amalek, any artifact, or we'll soon see actually, not any artifact, any livestock, that has the ability of one Caesar goes, oh, that was once Amalek's horse, or so on, and therefore, remember Amalek, it's up to us, or Hashem wants us to totally eradicate that. And hopefully with that, sof kol sof, meaning at the end, it will actually bring about the total eradication of the memory of Amalek. Where, where do we see this actually? The Rebbe brings in a footnote that we do see that there are certain things that Hashem made it in a way that ultimately they get forgotten. Ultimately, it's totally removed from one's memory. Where do you see that? For example, it says that Hashem made it that a, a mess, that a bad person, in the beginning, there's a lot of pain, and you remember the person, but slowly with time, you kind of forget the person, you forget the pain. Even in objects, we find that sometimes a person loses an object, if you ever lost something in the beginning, you think about it, you remember it, but as time passes on, you forget about it. You almost forgot that you ever owned it because you're no longer missing it. So that's the kind of approach that Rashi wants us to know and understand is what Hashem really is demanding of us when it comes to Amalek. By us totally eradicating everything that belongs to Amalek, even the livestock, ultimately Amalek will be forgotten, out of sight, out of mind, he'll be gone. And that's what we have to do. About him being ultimately forgotten, as if he never existed, that's up to Hashem. That's in Parshas Bishalach. Now we'll understand how and what Rashi explains here, and why he quoted what he quoted. Because Rashi's objective was to explain how to eradicate the memory of Amalek, we could understand why he includes also, remember we asked, why did he have to quote that? that? That's not his objective. It is. You see, because when the Torah gives us the reason for why we should do this Tamalik, what does the Torah say? Remember what Amalek did to you. That he came and he attacked you on the way. In other words, Hashem's saying, this is to avenge you, B'nai Yisrael. Well, we find a parallel to this. There was another nation that attacked the Jewish people. Midian. Midian attacked the Jewish people. And there too, Hashem said, avenge the, the, the nikmas B'nai Yisrael, Me'esa Midianim. Take the Jews, the Jewish people's revenge from the Midianites. And you should kill them and so on. They went out and they killed the men. And they took captive the women and the children and the animals, the livestock. When they came back, Moshe got upset at them. And he said, what? You let the women live? They were the source of the problem. Now let's analyze this for a moment. Moshe didn't say they were supposed to be killed together with the men. Moshe gave a different reason why they should have not let them live. And in fact, they went ahead and they killed any woman, quote, that knew a man, meaning any woman that was of Asia could have been one of the culprits that caused the Jews to sin. What does that tell us? 
It's very telling. That tells us that when you were taking the revenge of the Yidin, what was the objective? How did you take the revenge of the Bnei Yisrael? By killing the men. By getting rid of the men. But as far as women and children are concerned, that's not a way to take revenge for Bnei Yisrael because they're not the ones that actively attacked Bnei Yisrael like the Minyanim did. However, once Moshe clarified to them that the women also should be killed for another reason or for a side reason or for an added reason, fine, they killed the women. So if we wouldn't have this insight, if Rashi wouldn't quote this, what would we imagine? What is the purpose of this mitzvah? What is the objective of this mitzvah? Like Hashem says, to, because of what he did to you. Well, for what he did to us, it's the men that did it to us. So we should kill only the men, just like they did by Midian. Therefore, Rashi quotes this part of the Pasuk too, to enlighten us, to tell us that the mitzvah of Mechias Amolik, of eradicating the memory of Amolik, is not just about getting rid of the men. It's about getting rid of everyone and the animals which trigger a memory of Amalek. Because this is not about just taking revenge. This is about eradicating any trace of memory of Amalek. And therefore, Rashi quotes this part of the Pasuk. However, the question really is, one second. If this is the case, what does Rashi quote in the Pasuk? And therefore, what do we know is the objective? How do we implement? What is the imperative of this mitzvah? To kill all humans and all livestock. What about the property? What about the things that the Amalekim owned? Should that not also be destroyed? Should that not also be totally eradicated? Because that might also trigger a memory. I mean, if you leave the homes and the palaces... And, and, and the nice, I don't know, the chariots, or the, nowadays it would be the cars and so on, then obviously people say, go, hey, that was once Amalek's car. Or maybe not. In other words, why is that not included in the mitzvah of eradicating the memory of Amalek? And the Rebbe explains that there's an inherent difference between livestock, between the animals that the Amalekim owned or anyone owns, and property, especially even, I'm sorry, even real estate and so on. And the Rebbe explains that when it comes to animals, there's no way really of altering the animal without hurting it. Now hurting it, you're not allowed to. There's an isur of tsar balichayim. You're not allowed to cause pain to an animal, to a living thing, any living thing in any way. The only time you could actually touch an animal is only to shecht it, but that's the end. That's to serve its purpose as meat, as food. But otherwise, you're not allowed to cause any pain whatsoever to an animal. And therefore, there's no way of altering the animal in any way, shape, or form. And therefore, the animal as it was before in the ownership of Amalek, if you would let it live and now it's in your ownership, it could always be identified because every animal look has its own unique look. It could always be identified and remembered by one who remembers it hadn't been in the possession of Amalek as, oh, this was once Amalek's horse. This was once Amalek's cow. This is the sheep that once belonged to Amalek. And therefore the memory wouldn't be eradicated. However, when it comes to possessions, you're allowed to alter it and you could alter it. In fact, when you own something, you give it your own touch. 
You give it your own, your own effect. I mean, I want you to think about a common day example. You can get two cars drive off the same lot, two brand new cars, two different people own it. And you go into the car a few weeks later even, and each one has a different unique feel. Why? Because the person driving the car, the way it is, the, the, the things he has in the car, the smell in the car, and so on. In other words, even though if you really match them up, they really look the same. They're like twins, but they're different. And that's why when you go into a parking lot, you can tell it's your car. It's not just a license plate. There's something there. Every, every gosh mystic thing, every item, every, every material thing has, so to speak, a, a, a unique identity that alters depending on the ownership of who owns it, who has it in their possession. And this is why Rashi added the words. You remember the words he added? We asked, why does he ask? To say this behema once belonged to Amalek. Because now it makes sense. It's not just the fact that you have to kill the behemoths, the livestock of Amalek, because it is a livestock of Amalek, but it gives you also the reason. And this answers why it's only, this mitzvah only extends to livestock and doesn't go beyond it to objects, to items that belong to, to material items that belong to Amalek. Because on those you will never, quote unquote, say they belong to Amalek. Because once you own it, you alter it, it becomes yours. Even a house, with time, you change the facade, you change the plants, you change the, 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 the landscape, whatever. It's just, it becomes a different place. People no longer remember automatically. I mean, they could remember. They'll never totally forget. But it won't be an automatic trigger. Oh, that was once Amalek's house. That was once Amalek's car. That was once Amalek's uh, whatever, whatever item it may be. According to this, we can actually also understand something that happened in Jewish history that we read about every Purim in the Megillah. And of course, the Megillah is about what? It's about Amalek, right? And it's actually a result, if I may, of not having fully fulfilled the mitzvah of eradicating Amalek. And that's why we had a Haman. But what happens at the end of the story after Haman is killed? Achashverosh transfers the ownership of base Haman, the house, the famous house of Haman, and he gives it to Esther. And he says, here, look, I gave you the house of Haman. Question is, how did she have the right to acquire it? How did she even accept it? This belongs to Amalek. Not only belongs to an Amalek, uh, a descendant of Amalek. It is called Beis Haman. It is a unique place. So perhaps if she took it over, even if she were to change the name, who says to be called Beis Esther or Beis Esther or Mordechai, whatever it is, who says that would be enough? The memory of Amalek would still linger on. That's the answer. That you see from here... That, the, that it's just the moment before you took possessionship, you took ownership of it, it was called base Haman. The moment Esther acquired it, it was given to her, it already is no longer base Haman. And since she can give it her own touch, her own twist, and now rename it or redecorate it, so to speak, that already is enough to take away that automatic trigger that it may have had to bring back the memory of Amalek. And, and um, this also helps under, uh, explain something very powerful. Really, we can never eradicate the memory of Amalek, if you think about it. Because if we were to really totally eradicate the memory of Amalek, 
Chasushon to say this, but maybe we would actually have to cut out pieces in the Torah. Because there's several places in the Torah where the Torah speaks about a Molech. It's obvious that we cannot do it and be Pasal Abisevet Torah. Correct? And moreover, we find that there is a Minig Yisrael that people would write the word Amolek either on the soles of their shoes or on a piece of wood and knock it. That's where came the Minig, by the way, to make noise by Haman and the Graggers and so on. That's one of the original reasons uh, for, for, for the sources for the Minig of, for the custom of using a Gragger and so on because they would bang it and make noise in order to actively erase the name of Amolek. And that's precisely the point. The sum total of this Rashi is that we are not responsible. We were not charged with eradicating the name of Amalek. That's not up to us. That's up to Hashem. Hashem is in control. What's going to be remembered in this world or not? What we were charged with, what the, 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 the obligation and therefore the, 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 the privilege that we were given in this mitzvah is that we need to do our part in actively, assertively eradicating his memory. So therefore, if we have an object of Amalek, we, I'm sorry, if we have an, a livestock of Amalek, kill it. You have an actual Amaleki, kill him. The name of Amalek, you could even write it down on a piece of wood. While you're writing it, you're remembering it, but you're writing it in order or for the purpose of eradicating it, of erasing it. That becomes a mitzvah. The Rebbe says, actually, this is some food for thought, which is, the Rebbe quotes several Gemaras, but he doesn't go, he doesn't elaborate on it, he doesn't go into Lent, but it's interesting, just food for thought, something to explore, um, interesting hypotheticals. What happens if somebody steals? Listen to this. So here you're saying you can remember Amalek in order to fulfill the mitzvah of eradicating the name of Amalek. So you're actually remembering it which is bad, which is not something the Torah wants you to do, but you're not doing it for the end purpose of remembering Amalek, you're doing it for the sake, for the purpose of eradicating his name. So is it okay if somebody should go and steal from a poor person, listen to this, in order to later be charged with kefal? You know, if you steal and later you're found guilty, you have to pay double. And why do you do it? Because you know that if you try to help this poor person, he's never going to take it. Either he's too proud or he's too from. He doesn't want to take any help from anyone. So what do you do? This way, you kind of force him to accept the help from you. Is that okay? Is that still considered stealing? By the way, the Gemara says it's still considered stealing. It's not allowed. And then the Rebbe gives several other examples that say if somebody should go ahead and buy Chametz and Pesach. Now, of course, when you're buying Chametz and Pesach, as soon as you become in possession, you come in possession and ownership of Chametz and Pesach, you're over the Isur, you're now transgressing of that you shouldn't have any Chametz in your possession. But you're doing it so that you can go right away and have the mitzvah of burning Chametz and Pesach, of eradicating Chametz and Pesach. Well, of course, we have to make a distinction. These examples that the Rebbe brings here, although they're hypotheticals and clearly they're forbidden, is our, 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 have a stark difference than what we said before. Because what we were talking about before is the eradication of the name of Amalek. That the Torah tells us to do. And that there's no other way of doing other, uh, uh, there's no other way out. You have to think of Amalek, you have to remember Amalek in order to eradicate his memory. Just a quick thought in uh, chapter 7, when Yeno Shal Torah, remember the wine of Torah? That's in Rashi, meaning the deeper essence, the deeper secret. That applying this to our life, our way, I'll just bring up one point of it. What is 
the idea of Amalek in our lives, in Avedis Hashem, serving Hashem. So obviously we know that that is the concept of what Amalek did, and in this sense we translate the word Korcha coming from the word Kar, cold. He had tried to bring into the Yidden after they had all this excitement about everything Hashem did for them and the Torah and, every, and, and the Torah they're going to get and everything, he tried to inject in them apathy, indifference, no big deal, not, not to get too excited from anything. And here is where we see an interesting insight in the way Rashi quotes the Pasuk. He says you got to take from Ishvad Isha, from man to woman, from baby to youngster, from ox to sheep, remember to lamb. Remember, he doesn't quote the camel and the donkey. This is because in our existence as Jews, we have all these aspects. You have the aspect of Ish and Isha. Our mind is, so to speak, the Ish, the Mashpia. The Isha is the Midois, our emotional attributes. That is the Mechabal that receives from the mind. It gets triggered by the mind. And then, of course, in its smallest form, it is babies, right? And then the ox and the, and the lamb, this is even the godly soul. Ox is, is uh, an expression, is a symbol of strength, you know, when it's strong. And lamb, when it's kind of subdued, when it's weak. All these aspects, we have to inject into them warmth, eradicate the apathy, eradicate the memory of Amalek. But the last part of the Pasuk, which Rashi didn't quote, is quoted in Shmuel, because that will be at the end of times, when the camel and the donkey, which are not kosher animals, or they represent the Goyim, even they will be nisbarer, even they will be elevated to the point that they will recognize Hashem and appreciate godliness.